G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Two reports for you today. The first is about the Star of the South Energy Project, the first offshore wind farm in Australia. Will Tracy, the Deputy National Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, followed by a quick word from Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth on the subject. We end with a word from Thomas Mayer, Deputy Branch Secretary of the Northern Territory Branch of the MUA, who spoke at the IPAN conference recently held in Darwin. IPAN, of course, is the Independent Peaceful Australia Network. But first, some workers' news. Date on the federal anti-union legislation. The Sydney Criminal Lawyers report that the Ensuring Integrity Bill passed through the lower house on the 31st of July. Opposed by the ALP and the Greens, the legislation is now under Senate committee review and won't be voted upon in the upper house until late October. Originally introduced in Parliament last year, the bill stalled due to a lack of crossbench support for the unprecedented measures and on its return to the Senate it will once again rely on crossbenchers with four out of the six required to vote in its favour to see it passed. The Fair Work Registered Organisations Amendment Ensuring Integrity Bill 2019 proposes to amend the Fair Work Registered Organisation Act 2009 in the following ways. The new section 222 of the Act allows for the Industrial Relations Minister, the Commissioner and that, in inverted commas, person with a sufficient interest, apply to the Federal Court for an order to disqualify a union official from their position. This, of course, could be an employer. Schedule 2 of the Ensuring Integrity Bill amends the Act so as to provide a streamlined process to cancel the registration of a union. This would allow the Minister, Commissioner or a sufficient interested person to apply to the Federal Court to see a union deregistered. Participating in stop work action over safety concerns held by workers for their own and public safety, an ACTU spokesperson explained, could result in deregistration of a union. And the recent industrial action taken by hospital staff in New South Wales is an example of where this could apply. The third schedule of the union busting bill sets out a new framework whereby those same parties can apply to the court to have an outside administrator sent in to take over the running of a dysfunctional union, in inverted commas. Workers deserve a government which puts their interests ahead of multinational companies and the very richest Australians, said the ACTU spokesperson. However, big business lobbyists have already been pushing to remove unfair dismissal protections, undermine minimum wage protections and scrap the better off overall test. Three things which have protected workers from the greed and hide-handedness of employers. The Morrison must answer for public school capital funding injustice, according to the Australian Education Union. The Morrison government 
must justify why it provides any funding at all for elite private schools in light of my school data showing that the four richest elite private schools in Australia received more government capital funding than 1,800 other schools combined. Nationally, Catholic schools spend 2.2 times more per student on capital works than public schools in 2017, while independent schools spent four times more per student. In 2017, only 38% of total spending on school infrastructure was in public schools, far below the sector's 66% of enrolments. The richest 1% of schools spent $3 billion, while 50% of schools at the other end of the scale spent $2.6 billion combined. Yet that 50% of schools actually teaches nearly five times as many students. Between 2013 and 2017, Australia's four richest elite private schools spent more on new facilities and renovations than 1,800 schools combined. That's $402 million versus $370 million. The numbers do not lie. My school data provides the concrete evidence of a policy of deliberate school funding inequality by the Morrison government and a preference to privilege the private sector above public schools, said Ms Haythorpe from the Australian Education Union. Remote Aboriginal communities in Western Australia are suing the federal government in a landmark action over its controversial remote work for the Dole scheme, which they argue is racially discriminatory. The dispute has reached the federal court after two years of mediation overseen by retired Judge Robert French has failed to resolve the matter. The communities argue the system unfairly applies more onerous requirements of participants, 85% of whom are Indigenous, compared to the mainstream Job Active program for the same welfare payments. Under the program, participants living in remote communities must complete work-like tasks in order to receive new start payments owed to them. Missing an appointment with a work provider can result in payments being suspended or penalties of roughly $50 issued per day, which has been blamed for worsening poverty among participants. I would like to see things change. We need some changes with this scheme, said Ronald Hunt, a CDP participant in Warburton Community. Local community leader Derek Harris said the CDP scheme reminded him of the way his great-grandparents were treated in the 1920s. Union Women at Unions ACT announced the launch of a campaign, Respect is the Rule, over the weekend, aimed at having zero tolerance for sexual harassment towards workers in the hospitality industry in Canberra. Surveys show that 89% of women working in hospitality have experienced degrading and sexist treatment at work, including sexual harassment. They point to a recent story in the Canberra Times that underlines why the campaign is necessary. Former casual employee Anya Holt, who worked at Monster Bar for more than two years before resigning in July, said it would raise a red flag for anyone who had previous experience in the industry. Management brought in new uniforms for waiters at the New Action Restaurant in May. They consisted of a slim-fit white blouse and black leather skirt for women and white T-shirt blazers and trousers for men. 
While the outfits painted male staff as authoritative and professional, female staff were represented as trashy in comparison, said Ms Holt. A spokesperson for the campaign said the sexism and degrading attitude faced by Anya Holt and her co-worker Katie is all too common in hospitality businesses across the ACT and Australia. Both Anya and Katie are to be applauded for their courage. It's not easy for casual employees to stand up and fight back against sexist treatment from the boss, even when they're helped by their union. If you are a hospitality worker, a customer or a hospitality owner who wants to support their staff, just email women at unionsact.org.au to find out how you can support the campaign. And rail and tramway workers are in the middle of EBA negotiations with the private companies contracted to run the systems. Limited industrial action was called off by the union, the RBTU, last week at rail stations as Metro's lawyers, Feehills, argued in the Fair Work Commission that the union, the rail, bus and tramway union, the RBTU, had failed to communicate with all their members the agreements made at the Fair Work Commission. Despite this, the company has been forced to the negotiating table with a job security clause a major element in the discussion for the rail workers. It is rumoured that worker meetings have passed the resolution that the Victorian Secretary must not sign off on a deal that does not include a job security clause. The rail workers have not taken an off-peak stoppage on Tuesday, August 27th between 10am to 2pm off the table. Bus and tram workers have told Yarra Trams that a stoppage set for Friday the 30th of August is on the cards if the company does not negotiate in good faith. The stoppage will run from 10am to 2pm on that day. Tariq Koch, Secretary of the Division of the RBTU, says Since Yarra Trams' last stodgy deal was voted down on the 23rd of July, there has only been one bargaining meeting. Even now, Yarra Trams continues to play games about meeting with us. We are seeking fair wages and conditions for all members. Yarra Trams is continuing to take a completely unreasonable approach. In order to secure a better deal, we need to take strike action to get Yarra Trams to see sense, he said. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Not heard of the Star of the South project? Well, Will Tracy from the national branch of the MUA, the Maritime Union of Australia, was in Melbourne a few weeks ago and could see a lot of jobs in the first Australian offshore wind farm being planned for off the Victorian coast. Uh, yeah, the Star of the South. So we did a reasonable update today uh, for our membership at the Stop Work meeting and we've been doing updates nationally uh, around the country because um, this is a significant project not only for our union, but for the uh, the people of Victoria. Uh, the Star of the South is an offshore wind uh, farm proposal. Uh, it's got 250 of the world's biggest turbines that are going to be built. It's probably about uh, 25 metres of water, um, between 10 and 15, 20 k's off uh, Gippsland. Um, and uh, it is a project that will provide state-of-the-art technology. So it's in terms of uh, offshore wind turbines, these will be the biggest that we've seen in relation to offshore wind projects 
around the globe, um, state-of-the-art technology, as I said, uh, and it will provide between uh, 18 and 20% of Victoria's energy needs. So it will meet – Victoria has a renewable energy target legislated uh, of 40% by 2025, and they are in the throes of um, trying to move to 50% by 2030 on the latest information I've seen. Uh, and this will provide uh, the legislated target of 40%. This will provide half of that uh, in one project. So it's a significant project. I think it will take power to over a million homes, I think was the estimates that I saw um, in some of the information that I was reading. But this is a significant project for us because uh, when we talk about the term just transition, uh, the problem that we have in this country at the moment is we don't really have too much to point at. The reality with renewable energy projects is they are being built by backpacker labour, That's uh, right. by and large. And so is it any wonder that when uh, people in um, industries that rely on uh, mining jobs or whatever it may be um, uh, are asked to look at uh, the concept of just transition, it becomes fairly arbitrary when you've got nothing to point at. Is yep. the truth. Yeah. So that's what's so exciting about this project. We have an opportunity to be able to create, and we have a look around the globe. We've looked at plenty of areas. So we look at Scotland, uh, one side of the North Sea. We look at Scandinavia, the other side, where they're two decades into this sort of technology and building these wind farms. We have a look at what we're seeing in the US, so particularly on the East Coast, um, uh, New York State, um, uh, Rhode Island, uh, these sorts of places where there has been involvement and political will to build these projects, but build these projects with good, uh, paying, sustainable jobs, uh, and that's important. We, uh, you know, we see the last election result in Queensland in particular, uh, and where workers um, in coal communities are being asked. Uh, to choose between uh, their jobs and their coal communities or the environment, is it any wonder they pick their jobs and their coal community every time? Oh, I've seen this before. So, they did it with the logging. Yeah, so, um, you know, we allow the right to wedge us on these issues and they pit, you know, worker against environmentalists and we're, we're all on the same page as this. The same people destroying the environment are the same people destroying jobs. Um, so, you know, there's some real opportunities here to create something meaningful in terms of just transition. Uh, we think that Victoria presents as a unique opportunity because we have a uh, strong political progressive government. Uh, we have uh, tremendous support from Trades Hall, who have appointed a full-time uh, just transition officer. Um, and we've got political will amongst the trade unions in this state to make sure that this works. And, you know, the federal government, unfortunately, in relation to the project uh, down off Gippsland have been dragging their feet, but they have got, prior to the election, got up and approved the um, development stage, which is the ability to measure the resource, which is wind. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to find it. I mean, arguably, there's no place in Australia has more wind than Bass Strait. So uh, they will find the resource they're looking for. That's why the certainty behind it is the $9.5 billion that's been committed by the Danish pension funds. Um, and this this uh, project presents us an opportunity to show that the uh, the outcomes that just transition should deliver can be delivered. Is it possible to uh, bypass the federal government? No, because uh, anything that's more than three kilometres offshore requires uh, federal Commonwealth approval. So, and it's unfortunately, it's not just it, offshore wind presents as something fairly unique because it's a two-step process to get up to constructing these things. So you need 
uh, development approval to start with, go out measure the resource, all that sort of thing, so you can make sure that the resource is there, and then you've got to get a permit approval to construct, which means they can drag their feet and hold it up again. Uh, we're hoping that's not the case. We are of a view... Oh, it'd be great if they were actually on Australia's side. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and maybe if we look at any state, there may be opportunities down here with some of those federal ministers and people as senior as Frydenberg and the like who understands that renewables is an issue. Um, so, you know, this is... This so is really a, you're saying that the community has got a stake in this and they need to push? Absolutely they do. Yeah. Absolutely they do. And particularly where the state government has set ambitious uh, renewable energy targets, um, there's an opportunity here to really make something like this project work. Uh, we're excited about it. It's a big marine spread. The advantage of offshore wind over uh, any other renewable type projects that we're seeing, whether it be onshore wind or solar is the amount of jobs that are created. So offshore wind provides three times as many jobs. One of the advantages of the location down off Gippsland is you're very close to the Latrobe, so the transmission infrastructure is already there. Uh, so there are a heap of advantages to a project down off that coast. We know for a fact that there are other projects waiting behind this one should it get the approval and go ahead. Um, and what that then allows us to do um, is to provide uh, an energy renewable uh, a renewable energy manufacturing base in that area um, right. and a hub. Uh, but you need uh, anchor You need anchor manufacturing tenants and, and, and that's what this sort of project can present as. So we well, are excited. Well, given how expensive electricity and gas is now, yep. uh, it must be looking pretty interesting to people who are potentially going to be manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the project itself stacks up. Economically, it stacks up. That's why you've got more than $9 billion behind it at the current time. Um, so the money's there ready to go. The only hold-up at the moment is some of the approvals processes we're seeing with this current federal government that has an ideological opposition to renewable energy. Um, you know, the reality we have, and, and I'm, I'm a uh, senior official in the union that has coal miners as one of its divisions, is that... We understand coal mining reached its peak in 2014. The, the industries I represent in the offshore oil and gas, the sunset industries as well, we understand that. And we're working hard now to make sure that there are viable opportunities for the people who currently work in those industries, but also the communities in and around it and the people who in future will come out of those industries. To follow up what Will Tracy was saying, we were speaking to Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth about the fossil fuel industry, the federal government and conservative media outlets pushing for fracking in Victoria, which has a moratorium on fracking. Cam had this to say about the Star of the South project. The fact that we are now kind of, you know, rummaging around to drill this gas that no one bothered to drill in the past because it was too hard. And too, too expensive. Difficult, yes, and too expensive, indicates that we're getting to the end of the resource. So this should be the red light on the dashboard going, hey, something's wrong here. The reason we're getting here is because the resource is running out. So let's save ourselves a lot of pain in the future by shifting our energy use now away from gas rather than locking ourselves in behind this this, this gas final kind of gas fling development and lock ourselves into higher prices. So this is about having a bit of vision beyond the next two years. 75 regional communities in Victoria mobilised to win the gas ban and they're supported by thousands and thousands of people in Melbourne. It was a really significant political victory and it's essential that the Victorian government, that the government of Dan Andrews doesn't roll over on this issue and give way to the forces of the fossil fuel industry and the interests of people like Angus Taylor, Matt Canavan and Scott Morrison. We 
we work closely with unions and there's some really exciting projects like the Star of the South Offshore Wind Project in Gippsland. For instance, we're working with the MUA there because um, the oil and gas industry is in decline, whereas the Star of the South project would create exactly same sector jobs uh, and up to 10,000 new jobs in the construction phase. So we think there's lots of really good room to work with unions. Uh, The problem is, of course, that the fossil fuel industry works pretty hard to convince everyone, including some unions, that we need gas, uh, in effect, to keep the lights on. So we work with unions, um, but, yes, some unions still believe we need to be drilling more gas. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News. And we are going to go out with a short speech given by Deputy Secretary of the Northern Territory Branch of the MUA, Thomas Mayer, who spoke at the recent IPAN, Independent Peaceful Australia Network Conference, recently held in Darwin. Greetings, comrades, at the IPAN conference. My name's Thomas Mayer. Um, I'm a Torres Strait Islander man and I pay my respects to the traditional owners of the country that you're meeting on today, the Larrakia people. I'm born and bred on Larrakia land and um, I've got a very close connection, um, not only as a person that has benefited um, from the resources of this land and, um, and I'm very well aware of that as we all should be, but also as a person that has been an activist on the street with the Larrakia people about many of our struggles. I send my solidarity to your conference because I think it's a really important meeting that you're having. And as we've been struggling for for a long time, it's much about sovereignty and independence to be able to make our own decisions about who we ally with and who we work with and who we share um, this wonderful country with. Uh, We've been fighting for sovereignty since colonisation and more recently we've been fighting to have a voice and a voice is about that independence as well. Our leaders in the past have been chosen by government or by media or by a board. We want to choose our own leaders and we want those leaders to be protected, the representative body that they form, protected by the rule book of the nation, the constitution. I was one of the participants at the Uluru National Constitutional Convention in 2017. I was elected in the Darwin Dialogue here and I learnt that there were to be 13 of those dialogues all around the country. And like in Darwin, each one of those dialogues elected delegates to come together. And we came together with great hope because there'd never been an opportunity like this, like we had at Uluru, for us to form a national consensus on the way that we wish to move forward in this relationship with the rest of Australia, the way that we would be heard. So what we decided at Uluru was that the absolute priority is not symbolic constitutional recognition that had been talked about for a long time. We rejected symbolism. We said that we want a constitutionally enshrined voice as the only form of recognition that we could accept. A voice to affect the decisions that are made about our people before they're made. Voices that are accountable to our people, as I talked about earlier, not accountable to a Prime Minister that chooses them or the media, accountable to the communities that they come from and protected by the rule book. 
so that it cannot be undone as ATSIC was, or the NAC, or more recently the First, First People's Congress that has gone into administration and their leaders um, put into redundancy by way of a government decision. We must do something different and we must build this representative body. I'm really passionate about it because I'm a unionist and I understand that the first thing that we do when organising to use collective power is to set up a representative body that is accountable to its people. So this is really important. We've been purposely divided and our sovereignty has been undermined because of this. We haven't been able to negotiate with the Commonwealth. Once we have done that, then who knows what we're able to do. I want you to consider this. This Uluru Statement campaign and the campaign for a First Nations voice referendum is extremely important for you to support. The Uluru Statement is written to the Australian people. And if we achieve it, imagine if First Nations people together, through chosen representatives, make a stand on who we work with as a nation, on who we ally with, on who comes to our place and benefits from where we are and what we have. This is a very important message. I encourage you to look up the website www.onevoiceuluru.org, read the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I have a book coming out soon called Finding the Heart of the Nation. It comes out on the 1st of October. It's a gift to the campaign. Um, I don't get a cent for it. It's all about the campaign and it'll go through the MUA um, to the fight for the Uluru Statement and a First Nations voice. Read it, share it. It's an important message. It contains the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that support this from their many different perspectives. Because remember, we're not a homogenous people. Don't wait for 100% of us to support one particular cause or one particular solution. I learnt this from the rallies in Darwin here. We could have six speakers and 12 different solutions to one problem. This is about setting up a way to take this on and the Uluru Statement is written to the Australian people. That's you. So get behind it and support it. Thank you. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to Will Tracy, Cam Walker and Thomas Mayer for being part of the program today. We're produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Our podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. Uh, you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 94198377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together. And we'll go out with a different version of Midnight Oil's Beds Are Burning. How can we dance where the world is turning? How can we sleep while our beds are burning? Out here, the river folk, the bloodwood and the desert folk, holding wrecks and boiling diesels, steaming 45 degrees. The time has come, the time has come, say their prayer, to set fierce fear, to pay the rent, to pay the rent, to pay our share. Time has come. A fact's a fact. A fact's a fact. We 
belong to us. It belongs to them. Let's give it back. Back in the days when I. It belongs to them. 